Welcome to the Lift Church podcast. We pray that this message encourages you and inspires you to live up to your God-given potential. All right, I've got half an hour to share something that's really important. And uh, um, if you were here last week, we started a brand new series called You Asked For It. And basically, we took the questions that you put down for us to answer about two months ago, and we put them into uh, categories, and then we try to answer them as best as we can. And of course, I was expecting this, but uh, what we're tackling today is why is it so hard to communicate with God? And this is a, a, a question that, as a pastor, I get asked all the time. And to be perfectly honest, I'm still working out a lot of stuff. Uh, I think a journey with God. Like I married to Beck for three years, known her for a couple more years besides that. But I'm still learning how to communicate with her. There's some stuff that she says that I'm like, is she saying this or this or this or that? You women know what I mean. You can say one thing and it means ten things. I don't know what it's like. And uh, and I've learned that guys do that too. When when we grunt, uh, our grunts can have different meanings. And when you're hungry and your wife says, uh, "Do you want lunch?" is is you know means many different things for many different guys. So anyway, uh, but tackling this whole idea of communicating with God is a huge thing and. Um, yeah, Beck and I do want to run a series a little bit later in this year, or maybe early next year, to, to just focus in on hearing from God. Because this half an hour, we don't have time to talk about everything. And uh, yeah, as so I was searching um, what God will want to say to us this morning, there's something that God really was drawing me to. And there's only one little aspect um, of communicating with God. But I do believe that all of us are going to struggle uh, with this aspect that I do want to share with you this morning. So are you ready for it? Yeah. All right, let's jump straight to it. John 10, 27 to 28. And it says this, My sheep hear my voice and I know them. This is Jesus speaking. And just in case you've not been in a church for that long, you are... <laughs> a sheep if you love God and if you want to follow God. All right? It's not a derogatory thing. If you are called a goat, that's a bad thing. But if you're a sheep, it's a good thing, okay? And I love that in this church, we got full of sheep. And um, my sheep, Jesus is saying, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And it goes on to say in verse 28, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And, and that's just, I just want to read that verse verse as well because uh, it's something that we were talking about last week. God gives us eternal life so that you don't have to perish. You don't have to go through um, eternal death, hell. Uh, but instead, God gives you this thing called eternal life where you get to live with Him forever and ever and ever. It is the greatest thing possible. And I love that Jesus also says, uh, He says, no one will snatch them out of my hand. Last week, we tackled the question of can we lose our salvation? And I love that right Right here it says, salvation is something that God gives us. And remember what we were saying last week, we do not earn salvation and so we do not lose salvation. It's not in your hands. Who do you think you are holding salvation? I earn salvation. I lose salvation. And it's stupid. You can't earn it, so you can't lose it. And when you put yourself in the middle of Jesus' hands, he says, no one will snatch you out of it. Yeah? Pretty cool. No one will snatch you out of Jesus' hands. I'm not really getting an amen here. Amen. Because I think this is something that is huge. That we get 
to put our faith in a God who never fails. I can drop the mic right now, we can go home and we can have a party because Jesus never fails. I think I'm, I'm just used to Hillsong right now. I'm just like <laughs> expecting a little bit of a woo. There we go. Another fellow Hillsong conference person. Anyway, let's get to this. Um, but I didn't want to focus on that. It's just something that I want to encourage you with. Your salvation is not yours to earn. It's not yours to lose. But something that many of us struggle with is that Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. Earlier in the chapter, he says, my sheep know my voice. And that's something that for me, I know in my life, I struggle with. Because if I am not really hearing God, does that mean I'm not a sheep? And to those who are non-Christian in this place, maybe you're like, yeah, who wants to be a sheep? But being a sheep means eternal life, so I want to be a sheep. And, and sometimes I'm not sure if I'm doing sheep very well. Sometimes I think there's a little bit of goat in all of us. Um, <laughs> And I struggle with that. And it's something that we all struggle with. How, how is it that sometimes I don't know what God is saying? How is it sometimes that um, God is so hard to hear? And I've been there, and to be honest, there are still days where I'm like, come on, God. And when planting the church, one of the things that people are telling us to do, we need to come up with a vision statement, and we're praying, and we're praying, and we're praying, and God's not really, like, giving us one of those great, I see your church statements that, that so many people have. And all we are getting is these little things, and we're like, really, God? Come on, we're supposed to be your sheep, and we're supposed to now be shepherds, and you're not really giving us anything. And, and, and so, yeah, there is a struggle, and it's something that, uh, just to throw it out there, we will deal with it at some point later on in one of the series. That there is a maturity that comes in. I love that um, for Beck and I, we have got oversight over our lives. One of them is Pastor David and uh, of Life City Church. And, and sometimes I ask him, how do you see vision down the track? How do you know that it's God? And, and he just says this. He, he's so profound. He just says, I've been doing this for like 30 years, Nate. You've been doing this for coming on the one. Uh, you know. And it's like, come on, that's the most frustrating statement uh, for someone to say, you young, you don't know what it is yet, but you'll get there. And that's something I want to tell every person. If you continue to have a heart that seeks after God, you will get there. But what I do want to talk about is something that stops us from being able to hear God clearly. And uh, in 1 Kings 19, there's this verse that says that God spoke in a still small voice. And uh, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? God speaks in a still, small voice. But let me tell you something. I hate that verse. <laughs> because I don't know if you guys are normal people, but I know that life gets really noisy sometimes. Yeah. You know, you've got exams coming up. You've got uh, a big business deal that's coming through. You're about to lose your job or, you know, you, all these troubles come into your life. You've got, and, and maybe the best that you can give God right now is five minutes. And, and in the midst of all this noise, you, you're, you're kind of like, God, I really need to hear you. It's like, stop using that stupid small voice because I need to hear you. Anyone been there before? No one else? Okay, cool. I'm in the right place because I struggle with the fact that God, God would choose to use a still small voice when I need to hear him clearly. And we were just singing about how God's a good father. Now imagine a father brings a five-year-old child to a shopping center, and, and you see the child wandering off, and then uh, the father's just watching. Maybe he kind of hides behind a couple of like clothing racks just to see how the child's going, and you could see the fear coming into the child's face. They are feeling lost. They're needing direction. 
Now, would a good father do this? Would he hide himself, maybe in a change rooms, and start to whisper, I'm here. I'm here, son. I'm here for you. Follow the sound of my voice. Colder. 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 You're getting colder. Which dad would do that? Which dad in their right mind would see their child suffering in the fear, in panic, lack of direction, and he hides and he says, you need to tune it to my still small voice. <laughs> I've learned that that's the wrong perspective of my God. And I also learned that there's only one time in the whole Bible that the word still small voice is used, and that's in 1 Kings 19, the one time. And I, I learned that, yes, there is value and benefit of us learning how to quiet ourselves down. There is benefit of slowing down and, and trying to carve out time to hear from God. There is value in stilling ourselves and just stopping for a moment and carving time aside and investing it into seeking God's will. I'm not saying no to any of that. But what I'm saying is that that idea, that mindset, that God is hard to hear is nowhere to be found in the Bible. If God truly is a good father, then we need to understand that he wants you to hear his voice. And I love that we, we covered this in the last series, but you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you if you accept Jesus into your life. If you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit is there and he's meant to be your guide and your counselor. You do not have to worry that you can't hear from God, but you do have to learn how to tune in. And so let's, let's, let's uncover this whole thing about this still small voice. And to do that properly, we need to go into 1 Kings 18. And 1 Kings 18, we see one of the famous characters. We talked about him a couple of weeks ago. His name is Elijah. Elijah was one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. In fact, I would say that Elijah was the premier prophet in the Old Testament. How do I know this? A uh, bit of theology, if you like, trivia. But um, when Jesus went onto the Mount of Transfiguration, uh, he, he met with two characters, Moses and Elijah, yeah? And when he met with Moses and Elijah, what was going on? Moses represented the law, and Elijah represented the prophets. And they were coming into this meeting with the new covenant in Jesus. And I'm throwing a few terms out, but you just have to believe me. Elijah represents the prophet of all prophets in the Old Testament. He is one of the greatest, if not the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And we see one of his great acts in... Um, 1 Kings 18, and, and let me just set the scene for you. Israel had turned away from God, hated God, and was under the leadership of an evil king, Ahab. If you ever want to name your child anything, do not name him Ahab. Every Ahab in the Bible was bad, okay? Ahab, not good name, no. And he had a more evil wife, and her name was Jezebel. So don't name your kid Jezebel either. And all, all the African-Americans, like, I'm looking for a cool name. It's like Jezebel. Uh, no, no, bad. Steer clear. You do not want Jezebel. Elijah's a great name. Um, and so Elijah was tasked, was raised up by God to bring Israel back to him, was to bring and to, and to cut, cut, cut Israel away from all the idols that they had brought into the nation and to bring them back to a place where they knew him. And so first up, Elijah goes to Ahab 
which is no small thing. He was risking his life. He risked his life, goes up to Ahab and says, there's going to be a famine over the land so severe that you will know that God is judging you for your idolatrous ways. The famine lasted a few years. And then God now speaks to Elijah again and says, go back to Ahab. Now, Ahab, over the last few years in the famine, hadn't just been sitting, sitting idly, uh, twiddling his thumbs. He was actively seeking out Elijah, trying to kill him. And so Elijah decides, you know what? God's told me to do something. So he goes up to Ahab again and says, now's the time. It's time for a showdown. We want to know whether... God is really God, or your God, Baal, is really God. So let's have a showdown. And let's go to a place called Mount Carmel. And you can bring all your prophets, gather the whole of Israel, and in that moment, we will have a showdown to see who's truly God. Now, something you have to understand about Mount Carmel is that it's a beautiful place. Beck and I were there two years ago. We got to see it. It is this high place in Israel where you get to just see so much. It's a beautiful place. But one thing about high places in Israel at that time is that they always had a shrine to an idol. Always. Why? Because they wanted to set their idol, their God, above everything so that they could have oversight. What, uh, and this was probably one of the highest places in that region. And that means that Elijah had enough guts to say, I'm going to challenge you to a showdown on your own turf. I'm going to show, I'm going to show you that God is God on your territory. And so they went up to Mount Carmel, and, and, and the task was this. They were going to have an altar, uh, build an altar, put a wood on it, put a cow on it, and then the God who is truly God would answer by fire. So uh, Ahab got all 450 prophets of Baal, and so it was a prophets of Baal on one side, Elijah on another side, one man against 450, and they started the process. They got the, uh, the altars ready, they got the wood ready, they got the bull, put it ready. Um, and Elijah was like, I'm a gentleman, I'll let you guys go first. And so they started dancing around and shouting. I know many of you will like me to demonstrate what it looks like, but I will not for the sanity of every person in this room. And so they were dancing around, shouting, Can I answer us, God? And nothing was happening. So Elijah had the guts to taunt the 450 prophets, and say, your God must be on a long journey. Maybe he can't hear you. Or maybe he's on the toilet. You read the Bible. Bible is full of humorous stories. I love this. This man standing in front of 450 of his enemies, and he said, your God is on the toilet. He said it. He said it. And so those guys were enraged, and so they started to shout louder, and they even took swords, which to me is crazy that Elijah would be taunting 450 sword-bearing prophets, saying, your God's on the toilet. And they took their swords out, and they started to slash themselves in order that Baal would answer them. But nothing happened and what happens is that Elijah then takes his turn he prays and as you can see from this brilliant illustration fire from heaven the fire came consumed the the offering but also consumed the altar so much so that there was no doubt that this was God who was answering this was what Elijah was raised up for. This was a moment of reformation across the nation. They, they sent all the leaders of Israel to be there for this showdown. And right now they were clearly seeing that Baal was in God and God was God. This was a moment where Elijah could have pushed through, spearheaded a reformation that would turn every person back to God. 
He was right in the center of God's will. Until just a few verses later, where we come to 1 Kings chapter 19. And Queen Jezebel wasn't too happy about this. Her 450 prophets were slain, and now they, um, she, she, she was really angry. And so she sends a messenger. And I don't really, I, I'm trying to picture this scene in my mind. She's so angry, she just gets anyone and says, You find Elijah, and you tell him that if I find you, I'm going to kill you. And I find this hilarious. Because if the person is able to find a light, why not just kill him? Why carry a message saying, hey, I'm going to kill you when I find you? It's like, hang on, I found you. Am I supposed to, what's going on here? All right, I think she wants to give you a head start. So, uh, ridiculous, stupid, stupid, stupid. The man who had courage to face the king twice, risking his life twice, was now faced with this messenger who was given a directive that made no sense. And I would think that the prophet who was in the center of God's will, who clearly heard from God, would be able to stand his ground and push through the Reformation. But 1 Kings 19 is a sad story because Elijah received the message, leaves everything behind, and runs a day into the desert. And I start to wonder whether I should be encouraged or really terrified the fact that one of the premier prophets of the Bible couldn't hear God. He was bringing about one of the great victories of the Old Testament and one little threat turns him around. And I'm like, maybe I should be encouraged that even prophets get it wrong. Maybe I should be encouraged that even Elijah got it wrong. But then I started to think, maybe I should be scared that even Elijah gets it wrong. Yeah? <laughs> if the prophet of God couldn't hear from God, then maybe we've got a problem here. But then I continued to read 1 Kings 19, and I realized that I was seeing things wrong. Because... Elijah was still hearing from God. And that shook me up. Why did it shake me up? It's because I always had this assumption, right, that if I could hear God clearly, like a prophet would, it would always give me the strength and the courage to do exactly what I needed to do. It will always give me the directive on how I'm supposed to approach a situation. This is uh, Elijah who heard from God that he was going to bring a famine over a nation. He declares it and it happens. Don't tell me he wasn't hearing from God then. This is Elijah who was told by God that to, to confront Ahab and, and to set up this showdown that would turn a nation around. Don't tell me he's not hearing from God. But in the midst of hearing from God, Elijah got things seriously wrong. In the midst of being able to hear from God, the situation that confronted him surprised him. He was surprised by the pain of his broken expectation. And this is something that God dropped into my heart. That many of us are expecting that when we hear from God, everything is going to be smooth sailing. Yeah. That when we hear from God, it's going to right every wrong. 
It's going to heal every disease. It's going to change every situation. It's going to make a change and transformation in me so that I'm not going to struggle anymore. But Elijah shows me that that's not how God works. So what works then? What are we supposed to do? If the best prophet in the Old Testament could still hear from God but still get things so wrong, how are we supposed to deal with this? Let's read on in the story. Elijah runs away, and uh, really interestingly, an angel comes and feeds him twice. At the second time, this angel said to Elijah, eat up because the journey is too great for you. I love that. Sometimes we are confronted with situations that we're like, God, you're demanding so much of me. But God's right there, and he's still giving you exactly what you need. He's still there. He's still feeding your, uh, your needs, and, and he's supplying everything you're ever going to need. Even though God had every right to be angry that his premier prophet was turning away, he said, I'm going to feed this guy because he needs me right now. That's the God that we serve. And so strengthened by this food, he walks another 40 days and 40 nights into this place called Mount Horeb, which is known as the Mount of God. And one thing i got to give Elijah pr- uh, credit for is that he was still seeking God in the midst of his pain. But when he gets to God, when he gets to that mountain, God speaks to him and says, what are you doing here? Elijah says something to the effect of, I'm done, God. Kill me now. And then he, he launches into this uh, uh, whinge. Let's just, let's just call it a whinge because it really is a whinge. In 1 Kings 19 verse 10, I have been very jealous for God. The God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenants, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. This confuses me. He had no concern of his life when he confronted Ahab. Following me? He had no concern for his life when he was telling the 450 sword-wielding prophets, your God is on the toilet. But right now, when the queen sends a messenger to tell him, I'm wanting to kill you, he runs away and he has this whinge of like, they want my life, God. And, And this is what God put on my heart. When we want to follow God, many of us put a condition, an expectation on what we're expecting to see. Some of us think that we're being big and saying, I'm willing to sacrifice my life twice. I'm willing to risk my life twice. But not the third time. Not the third time. Elijah thought that the struggle would stop the moment the showdown was done. And that message brought a surprise to him, the surprise of pain into his life. A surprise that drove him to isolation and drove him to despair. Drove him to hide in a cave and to say, God, take my life. I'm done here. So while he's in that cave and after he says that, this is how God responds. God said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. 
the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. That's what I'm talking about, the sound of a low whisper, sometimes translated the still small voice. The thing is that it's a very difficult thing to translate because the word whisper is also translated sound. And some translations say, says, Elijah heard a thin sound. We don't even know if it was God calling out to him. Something was just attracting Elijah out of that cave. That's all we know. We don't know if God necessarily likes speaking in a still small voice. Doesn't attribute it to God speaking to him. But when Elijah heard it, he, he walked out. And behold, there came a voice, no longer a still small voice, just a voice, a voice that he could hear, and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah repeats his whinge word for word. He had been rehearsing it for the 40 days and 40 nights. He said it to God, and God said to him, go return your, on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and basically gives Elijah a handover plan. And then he says in verse 18, Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to bow, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah thought that he was the only one left. The surprise of his pain drove him into a cave of isolation and despair. Pain has this way of communicating to us that we are alone. Pain has this way of driving us into a cave. And whenever we are in that cave, I believe that God is saying, just like God said to Elijah, come out of that cave. And after God said, come out of that cave and meet with me, I noticed that Elijah stayed in the cave. And then God puts on this show with wind, Earthquake, fire, that broke apart, broke apart the mountain. And only when he whispered did Elijah come out. See, Elijah wasn't looking for the loud voice of God. Elijah wasn't looking for the commanding voice of God. Elijah wasn't looking for the directive voice of God. He wanted to stay in that cave. But when he heard God lowered his tone a little bit. He said, okay, I'm willing to meet with that God. Pain has a way of pushing us from a God that is showing us where, what's next. And I'm wondering whether you've experienced this, but in my life, when I know that I've got a directive from God, but that directive means pain, I often start asking myself, is that really God? And I start looking for the still small voice. When the loud, clear directive of God in my life is blaring at me in the face. Maybe God's saying, you're not supposed to go there. But you know that saying yes to God means saying no to certain opportunities. And so you start to justify things in your mind. And you start to say, no, no, I didn't hear God. I haven't heard the still, small voice of God yet. Or maybe God's telling you a certain relationship that you have in your life is not good for you. But you keep waiting, and you keep waiting, and you keep waiting in that cave of isolation and despair until you hear that small voice. 
What I'm trying to say is that God doesn't make himself hard to hear. We make him hard to hear. We have become so pain intolerant in our lives that even though God has revealed to us a destiny and a future, even though God has said that you are in the middle of my hand and no one can snatch you from me, even though God said I will be with you every single step of the way, even though you have seen the miracles and the signs and wonders of God, pain has this way of making us question the goodness of God. But if we learn how to be pain tolerant, if we learn how to make the tough decisions that says, I'm going to stay in the center of where God wants me to be, that's when breakthrough starts to happen. I love that God still loved Elijah enough not to kill him on the spot. I love that he wasn't like, this is so much for you to bear, but too bad. You still have to bear it. You're my servant. I don't care about you. No, no, no. God cared enough for Elijah that Elijah still made his way into the Bible to be the best prophet of the Old Testament, even though he gave up on the plan that God had for him. Do you know that from that point on, there was no other point in Israel's history where the nation was so poised for a reformation. But the handover that happened mean that the, the reformation that was meant to take place under Elijah's lead was, was diluted. It didn't happen the same way that it could have because Elijah moved. But God cared enough for Elijah to say, I still love you. Your name's not going to be tarnished. You are still going to be the premier prophet of the Old Testament. But I'm wondering if there will be a generation of Christians that are willing to say, I know that pain is involved in my journey. I know that there's going to be some change that is going to challenge me. I know that the decisions that God wants me to make is going to cost me something. But guess what? I don't want to be surprised by pain. I'm anticipating pain. And if pain comes, all the more I know that God's going to bring me through this. God appeared to Elijah. Even though Elijah was in the cave, he was supposed to see this. He was supposed to see the wind, the earthquake, and the fire. Earth, wind, and fire. Every single element that God has created in the world, he pushed through that mountain so that Elijah would be able to see, nothing can harm you, son. But Elijah was hiding in his cave. And I'm wondering how many of us as Christians, we are hiding in a cave. We're saying, I don't know how to hear from God. I've been suffering with this illness. I've been suffering with this disease. I've been suffering through this situation. My finances are not where you promised me it would be, God. And we give up on God and we hide in a cave. We end up missing an appointment to see God's glory and majesty that is taking place in front of our eyes. Because the pain has surprised us. At conference this year, one of the most moving moments for me was a pastor. His name is Phil Camden. He's a pastor. He was doing great stuff. And then he started to feel cramps down his leg, and so he went to see his GP. And the GP gave him a diagnosis he wasn't ready for. The GP said, you have motor neuron disease. Now, a person that's been diagnosed with motor neuron disease normally has five years to live. But for Pastor Phil, he was two and a half years into that disease. The doctor was basically saying, you're going to die in the next two and a half years. I'm wondering for some of us whether when certain diagnoses of situations in our lives start to shake us, 
we start to just go, God, this is so unfair. I can't take this. For Pastor Phil, he's a, he's a bigger man than most of us. He's definitely a bigger man than me. He, he sought after God and God kind of showed him that this diagnosis, this letter that the doctor gave him was actually a passport to speak to other sufferers of motor neuron disease. He started to share about the hope that he had even though he was in the midst of pain. Motor neuron disease is a difficult disease to deal with. You start to lose the ability to use your body and it's like your being is being locked up in a body that's not responding to you anymore. In the midst of that pain, in the midst of that crushing reality, he shared of the hope that he had in Christ. He brought people to Christ and then performed their funeral a few weeks later. How crazy is that, that, that a man would say, use my pain. Use my pain. Use my pain, God, for your glory. And I'm wondering whether the church has become so used to the blessing of God that when God's saying, let me use your pain to bring glory, we say, no. We turn around. We say, God, you're so unfair. And that story pushed me hard. Still pushes me hard on the inside. Because I know that pain is a way of chasing me into a cave of isolation and despair. Pain is a way of chasing me away from what God is truly saying. And I always know it. I recognize it in my life. When pain hits, I start justifying what God has said to me. <laughs> I start to say, God, that's not really you because you're a God of love. You wouldn't put me through that situation. I'm learning how to say to God, I know what you said to me. And if I go through pain, if you ask me to risk my life one more time, I'm still going to stand there. See, I want to be a conduit for God to bring revival into our nation. I want to be a conduit for God to transform this city, this nation, and the world. And it doesn't take a theologian who's been studying for 100 years for God to use. So it's looking for a person with a willing spirit and a faith that doesn't get shaken in the midst of pain. And look, I don't know who, I don't know what you're going through. I can say that my life has been very blessed and sheltered. And I'm not asking you to give more than you are willing to. That's not mine to ask for. But all I'm saying is that each person here has a part to play. Each person here has a call of God that could bring about revival in this nation. Each person here, God has created you in a way that he can use to transform people's lives. But what we need to learn is that God's voice doesn't make it easy. And we still need to have a bit of guts. We still need to say to God, God, I choose you. In the midst of this storm, in the midst of this pain, in the midst of this diagnosis. You know, I, I, I struggle a little bit with this message because I know that some people here are like, I don't care for that God. 
And if that's you, I'm sorry that I portrayed God in a way that makes him look really crazy. But I've also learned that I never deserve eternal life, but God chose me. We did communion this morning, and it messes me up and continues to mess me up that God would choose me. So if I die on this earth preaching the gospel, so be it. Eternal life with God is so much better than a mansion on earth. Eternity with God is better than anything this world could give. Thank you for tuning in today. If you would like to find out more about Lyft, check out our website at theliftchurch.com.au.